Hey, this is JJ Matat. I'm the worship pastor at Jubilee, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope it ministers to your heart and allows God to speak right to you. If you would like to know more about our church, visit jfc.org. Enjoy the message. Um, good morning. Glad that you are here. Uh, I need to spend a few minutes in doing some updates, so bear with me. There are things that um, you'll be happy to hear uh, anyway. The first one, uh, where are we? in our uh, legacy campaign. Five weeks, and we just hit the $3 million mark. So it's awesome, it's wonderful, Um, exciting. I got to share that with a couple of friends that don't pastor here in Colorado, who um, had recently, both of them, gone through uh, some campaigns they were doing themselves. And, you know, without context, that it's like, wow, that's awesome. But context is, I have a friend in Florida that spent over a year and they had a a little over a million dollars that came in after a year. To have three million dollars in five weeks, folks, it doesn't speak anything of me and it really doesn't speak anything of you, to be honest. It speaks of how great our God is. That's what it it speaks to. And I, um, I, the reason I say that and, and can't take credit for any of that is there's been times where I couldn't raise $5,000, right? With everything I was trying to do at different times. It's uh, when God's doing something, you catch a tailwind. That's what happens. And I just learned the easiest way is find out what God is blessing and become a part of that right there. If you wanna be blessed, get involved with what God is blessing. It's always the easiest way just to enjoy the benefit of uh, what God's doing. And so um, just just say that to give you a praise. Uh, two more weeks in the campaign, right? So the second weekend of February is when we will um, look at what we have and make our decisions from there. We're trying to raise four. We have three, so we have another to go. Would encourage this, right? Just need to be bold and ask. If you love this church, if you um, are partakers of what God is doing here, and haven't yet been involved and you can, would you please? It's just no straighter way to ask that than to ask it like that. Now recognize maybe you're just like, pastor, we're just unsure. What, what would make you sure? What, what would you need? Um, maybe you're like, well, if CU comes to the table, ha ha. Um, <laughs> Thursday night, Chris and I were at home. It's been a process in negotiating with, um, with the state. Um, <laughs> I, I need to be careful what I, what I say right now. And Thursday night, um, they had responded back to us with a counter offer that was just simply, it was unacceptable. Now listen to what I'm about to say, because it, it, you can make a mistake on my words. Chris and I have surrendered the outcome of this situation to the Lord, right? That doesn't mean whatever happens, happens. That's not what that means. We believe that going for this CU building is exactly what God is telling us to do, and we're giving everything that we can to make that happen. But we're also at the very same time negotiating on another building so that if this doesn't work out, we can turn to it and the church is okay with whichever way we go, right? We literally have, I have architects working on both pieces and it's, it's going like that. CU came back with this, with this counter proposal, Todd, is that the best way to say it? And we had given them until Friday as the deadline. Look, either fish or cut bait, let us, let us go. We have other things we can go do and don't just keep us dangling here. So on Thursday, they responded back to us, gave us this proposal that was just, it was ludicrous to be honest with you. And we just felt like we just needed to stand firm, not in an ugly way, but just tell them, hey, we're gonna see this as a sign that the door is closed. The deadline is 24 hours from now, Friday night. But the way that this stands, we're going to take it as a no and we need to move on. Um, and then not, not quite 24 hours later, CU met every um, requirement that we had asked for in, uh, in this situation. So here's, um, here's the, the, next, the next hurdle, the next mountain. On February 11th, um, their, their regents have their meeting. And the regents, their, their job is fiduciary with CU, right? That's, that's what they do. They will vote yes or no on the whole thing on February 11th. I wish I could tell you we were dealing with one person, but we're dealing with multiple people, obviously with the university. That's just the way that it works. But February 11th is, is that, that yes or no. So here's, it, it coincides too with, with the 
on that weekend, we'll know where we are. So I, I pray February 11th, right? Pray for a yes. If you're like, you know, I, how exactly should I take it to the Lord? Take it this way. Your kingdom come and your will be done. And that's, look, I, I am old enough and have done this long enough to know I'm not going to impose what I want. It will be too expensive for all of us if I go after just what I want. I will yield and have yielded to whatever the Lord wants in this situation. But we have over and over stood before the Lord and asked him and kept our hands just like this. And he continues to open the door and allow it to go forward, go forward, go forward. So I believe with all of my heart, here's what a time frame looks like. So February 11th is a yes or no. That is a, I think that's a Friday, Todd? What's it, a Thursday? That next week, Monday or Tuesday, I would hope that we would sign the contract then if, if they vote yes. And then 90 days from them, March, April, May, we should be able to do our first meeting in that building. Now, so listen, wait, hang on, hang, hold, hold steady, hold steady, hold steady. So that doesn't mean that we move instantaneously over there. Some things that need to be done for children and for youth inside of that building. But wouldn't it be great to not have to wait till September to do our first meeting in that building? We will still have use of this one all the way up until September and uh, we, we will do everything. Maybe we will move in quicker than that. I just don't want to say that because I know that people are counting on whatever I say. But we will do an open house and we will enjoy that building. It literally is move-in ready other than making it custom for children and uh, youth right now. So that's where things are as far as that goes. A couple of other updates. Um, just the stories that are coming in with the finances are awesome. I'm picking and choosing a couple to tell you. Here was one of the more interesting ones from this last week. Uh, the first church that we planted uh, in the last four years as we moved from being uh, multi-campus to a single campus church, Pastor Evan and Emily Martin. You remember the Martins? And we love those guys and we bless those guys. Colorado Church is the name of their church. Evan's an awesome teacher. They're in the Glendale area. Um, just, just wonderful people. Uh, Evan called me up and they're in a school and have been since they left to plant. And obviously with what's happened with COVID schools, uh, especially in Denver, they're, they're closed down, right? He can't get in to meet. So they have not met physically uh, since March of last year. Imagine, imagine that, right? And Evan called me and said, hey, we're looking at a storefront. Would you meet me and would you tell me what you think about it and can I just kind of pick your brain? Of course, Evan, that's, you know, I'm, I'm his pastor. So um, we met, we looked at the storefront. I encouraged him to do it. And then he handed me this and uh, there were two things in it. The first is this letter, Jubilee. So it's not to me, it's to us. Your daring faith is spreading contagious courage throughout our city. Uh, Pastor John, 19 years ago, Emily and I visited Jubilee. We experienced the tangible presence of the Lord like a breath of fresh air. You have continued to cultivate that culture, making Jesus accessible and forcefully advancing his kingdom. Your spiritual and financial investment in me is even now producing an abundant harvest. Please accept this gift from Colorado Church as a small sign of our partnership with you in this great and important effort. We're praying for you, love, Evan and Emily. Now, before I tell you how much they gave, let me see if you can, you can remember. We gave an offering to the church that's buying this church. Do you remember how much I gave them? $25,000. $25,000. Pastor Evan and Emily, without knowing that, gave us a check for $25,000. <laughs> and so, and here's what he said that he wanted me to tell you. They're believing God to do for them what he's doing for us. He just said, what I told you is true. He said, the easiest way to be blessed is to be a part of what God is blessing. And we feel that in this dark time, God wants his kingdom, his church to accelerate, to shine the light brighter in the darkness than ever before. So we're gonna join and try to move our church forward too. And we wanna sow into your project, believing that God will bless us as we do so. So I bless Evan and Emily Martin. Man, I bless them. I bless Colorado Church. And I believe in, um, in a short time, I'll be able to stand up here and tell you where their storefront is and what God is doing in their church. I know that they're excited about their future like we're excited about our future. And here's the, here's the real truth behind all of this. If just Jubilee does good, then just you get blessed. Yeah. 
But if God's kingdom and churches around us that love Jesus, if the activity of the Holy Spirit increases, then all of Denver does better, right? All of Denver does better. And we have from the very beginning made these two things abundantly clear. Our reason for being here and the reason we link arms with other like-minded churches is that we wanna make it hard for people to go to hell if they live in South Denver. They can go, but they have to go around us to get there, okay? I'm being a little bit tongue-in-cheek on that. The other thing, though, is just simply, um, we just believe that that's God's purpose is that it's not about a church. It's about his kingdom. And that's how we need to think about this and approach this, the church that's buying us. I told you I would finally tell you. Uh, it is um, Thrive Church in Parker, Colorado. Thrive is seven years old. It's Pastor Jacob and Hannah Olette. Um, wonderful, wonderful people. Uh, those guys, man, they have a great vision for this city. In fact, their slogan is for a city. That's their whole reason for doing what they're doing. Excuse me. And so um, what we believe with, with them is that what we're trying to do is not just like, how can Jubilee prosper? But it is really, how can we turn around and put out our hand to a church who's just walking a path that we've already walked, right? And help them get in here so that the kingdom of God goes forward that way. How do we help Evan in what he's trying to do? And I know it's crazy. You almost want to think self-preservation when you're doing projects like this, but I just don't think God is self-preservation. I think God's whole, for God so loved that he what? We give it away, man, because in the giving, we actually get more than we could ever give. So that's the, that's the nature of it. I'm trying to think if there's any more. Did I leave anything out on my, on my announcements? Anything like that? You're sure? So I'm going to blame you if I forget anything. <laughs> mm. Okay. Oh, oh I, there is one more thing you didn't know about this, Todd. Um, Last night in the service, you did know about some of this. Last night in the service, we had a man uh, pass out right in the middle of the service, right? Just like it, it was crazy. We had to have the paramedics come into the service and get him. We had a child uh, hurt their hand in the middle of the service. And, just, um, and then while I was teaching, my left ear went deaf, oh, wow. literally deaf. So, you know, what is that? I, I have no idea. You know, if you, you, it's like the devil was running loose in our service. No. How about somebody didn't eat, uh, a baby hurt themselves, and I have a sinus infection right now. But I would ask for this, right? It is strange that all of those things happen at one time. So I, I do think the enemy's not happy. Let me just give you a quick picture that somebody in a ward gave me. Um, please understand what I'm about to say. Uh, I think CU is a wonderful institution but certainly uh, the philosophy that they embrace is different than the ones we embrace, right? Even about the creation of the world, okay? So here, just get this picture. This is a place three miles from here that teaches a completely different philosophy. And now all of a sudden we're about to move in and replace that philosophy with, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that the enemy would not wanna let that go? very easily, right? So they're distractions and no distractions. Like Paul said, no present affliction is to be compared with the future glory that we're going to step into, man. It's just stuff that we have to work our way through. But I would ask for your prayers right now, because I believe not just for us, but for all of us, as we're stepping into this, the enemy would just love to hate more than ever. So let's pray. Amen. Let's just pray. So um, let's pray. Father, would you right now uh, would you take what is about to be said and would you multiply it? You teach that your word is like a seed that is cast out into the soil of the heart. And that, that soil uh, and that seed, can, it can bring such abundant harvest. Uh, in some cases, it's a 30-fold return. In some, it's 60. And in some, it's a 100-fold return. And God, if I can ask, I would ask for a hundredfold return today on the word that's going out. At the same time, you also teach that when the seed hits soil that's unprepared for it, um, sometimes it can spring up and it has a really weak root. And then when the cares of this life and uh, a little bit of the fire of this world hits it, it withers. And then, of course, we have an enemy who you taught. He comes immediately to steal the seed when the seed is not received. 
So I'm asking right now that you put a hedge of protection around us so that when this seed hits this heart, it cannot be stolen. It, it will not find some shallow root that it will go in deep to the heart and produce a harvest that not only that person uh, is able to enjoy, but all of the people around them can eat of that fruit, God. I just thank you for what you wanna do today, Lord, for your glory and in the name of Jesus, amen. All right, here's my question. Uh, you don't have to answer it out loud. It's gonna hit you two different ways. If you're going through uh, a difficulty right now, then the question is gonna hit your, um, your mind a particular way. If in your mind, you can just relate to having gone through some difficulties, but right now you would say, uh, I'm not in that place, I'm in a good place, then you're gonna hear this in a particular way. However you hear this, it's not meant to like, like uh, downplay what you're going through, nor is it meant to draw you back to the fact that sometimes we go through things. It's just the idea of the whole thing, the beginning part of the message, I'm just gonna set it up where, where you'll see it. It's the back part of the message that has the power to it. So don't, don't get caught in the front and think, wow, that's kind of a bummer message. Hold on. So here's the question. Have you ever experienced disappointment with God that challenged your opinion of his or challenged who you thought his character was? Yes. You ever gone through something that you just simply can't explain with theology, right? Like uh, something happens to you and all the promises of God that we teach and that we talk about and we say that God is good and he's good all of the time and all of that is true. But then there's times that things happen in our lives and you know, immediately what the enemy wants to do, he wants you to take that challenge. He wants you to take that, that thing that happened and he wants you to lower your understanding of God to match the challenge rather than to raise the challenge up and put it in front of God. So my question to you one more time, just listen to it, right? Have you ever experienced disappointment that challenged your opinion of God? Uh, one of my favorite authors is a pastor in California, Bill Johnson, has this statement that has meant a lot to me. He said, disappointment is the mother of bad theology. Think about that. Disappointment is the mother of bad theology. Again, meaning this, that when something happens that just it hurts or it shakes us or like, why did this happen? How could I lose this person? How could I have this reversal? How could this betrayal take place? How, how can I get this report from a doctor? How can this happen? How can my children? You have these things happen that hit you right where you're living and God is saying this, but your reality is saying this. And when he says that disappointment is the mother of bad theology, what he means by that is it's so often that we'll take what we understand about God and we'll lower it to what happened to us rather than taking what happened to us and lifting it up in front of God. And it's just easy when things happen instead of going <laughs> why is it that when things happen, we always put God on trial rather than immediately turn and go, we have an enemy who sucks. Why don't we do that? Why is it always just, God, you need to go on trial for this thing? Um, again, the beginning of the message is a little, but just hold on. Um, let me tell you about two that, um, <laughs> that did that to me right? Like uh, these two things happened and it shook, it shook my faith. Not only did it shake my faith, but it began to, even in my teaching, instead of being so sure that even if I don't understand it, I'm going to believe what God said, not what I'm experiencing. And that's how I will preach. This, this had so affected me that it began to affect my, my teaching where I, I was afraid to say certain things because of maybe the cost was gonna be too great. Here were the two things. It was early on in the life of the church. We've been here 23 years this year. And what's amazing about that is that I look around this room, even in this room, I have people that have walked that entire journey with me. Now, some of you have come recently, even in the last month or two. God bless you. I love you. Welcome. And here's what I hope to say about you. 20 years from now, I hope I can say they've walked with me for 20 years. I, I don't know if I'll be here in 20 years, but I, if I am, I'll be an old man by then. I won't? You're an old man and I, I'll be, okay, I'll, ta I'll take that right there. Yeah. Um, I'd be 105 in 20 years. Is that... So this, is, uh, this was in the first year and a half of the church. And you have to remember in that early day, um, there wasn't what you see now. We're in a school 
we're in a storefront in the very beginning and there's just handfuls of people. And in fact, most of the people that occupied the seats were people who actually were helping us to do the ministry over the weekend. People that had come to the church, but because we were growing and we did, they were, they were assuming positions. And our worship pastors at that time were some friends of ours who came from Northern Colorado with us when we started the church. And this was in the, the very beginning of the church and their daughter, their oldest daughter, who was friends with our daughter, they went to school together, had gone on a mission trip through the church. And down in Mexico, they're riding back from Monterey and they're in a van and the tire blows and at highway speeds, the van rolls and it kills two people. And one of them was our girl. And I remember it was a Sunday night and Chris and I were sitting in Castle Rock eating dinner and uh, I got a call from the missionary. His name is David Blanchard. And David, um, he started with small talk. I mean, how do, you, how do you just go right into that? But have you ever got a call where you just, you know? I, I knew, why is he calling me? That was the first thing. And then immediately something's happened. And so he just began, hey, how are you? And I, I just said, David, what's going on? And I said, Dave, tell me what's happened. How's Mallory? And he couldn't answer my question. And I heard him choking back the tears. And through just those gasps, I hear him try to tell me that there was a wreck and that she was gone. And I, oh, you know, death is hard. Death of a kid is terrible and death of a kid on a mission trip. Like my mind goes, God, like I, I can reason that things happen. We live in a fallen world, but how does that happen? Because I would think, and maybe this is faulty thinking, but like when you're doing things for God, somehow I think there's like a little bit of protection around you. Now the Bible doesn't say that, but somehow I thought, anybody else? Which makes it even harder when something like, how do you reconcile those things? And up till that time, I had the title pastor, but I'm not sure that I really was pastor. And I think what solidified me as pastor is I had to take that man to Mexico to claim his daughter's body. And I had to bring her back and do that funeral in multiple places, by the way, because there were so many people that were touched by it. And then walk with that family through that tragedy. And even though they've gone on in life, they don't even live in this state anymore. We're still friends after all that length of time. And I would say that the thing to me that really made me pastor of this church, like solidified me, was having to walk a family through it. You're not pastor until you have to be actually, hey, that's my pastor. So we had this like really, and I, it shook me in that I'm thinking, God, we're out here putting it all on the line. And somehow I thought there would be like an extra level of protection maybe. And there wasn't. That freaked me out a little bit. And then within months of that, I had a board member and they had twins and their twins were the age of our twins and our twins hung out with their twins. And she picked them up from school and was driving home and someone ran a red light and rear-ended her and killed one of the twins. And I, when I got that call, I just was like, Okay. Now look, maybe you're sitting there and you think to yourself, you know, maybe you can reason it all away, right? I couldn't. And the enemy, I've got this hedge of protection around me, which is what our series is about, but the enemy's constantly probing to get any little chink that he can find in the armor. Because if he can find that one little slit, listen to me, he will begin to just pour on, boom, boom, boom. And if he can make his way through, he eventually will make it so wide you could drive a truck through it. And even though you may have other areas where you're protected, if the backside is open, everything inside the wall will be stolen. Because Jesus said that the enemy only does one of three things. He steals, he kills, and he destroys. That's what he does. And so here was the thought that came to me. Anybody that's involved in leadership in Jubilee is at risk. Now, I would never say that out loud. And the families in their graciousness came to me and said, pastor, do not 
blame yourself. Do not hold yourself responsible. We love what we're doing and we, we don't understand, we're heartbroken, but this isn't your fault. So they're saying that to me, but I'm saying if I hadn't done this, this wouldn't have happened to them. You ever said things like anybody? So I'm going through this like, and what it did to me is that it, it messed with my faith. So when I stood up here to teach, I was afraid to try to move forward because I was afraid that I was risking people's lives if I tried to move forward. And the, mo the, the most interesting thing, it started with just this small thing, but as soon as the enemy got in, man, it froze me. I couldn't pray for my kids because I was afraid that if I did, it was gonna make them a target of the enemy. Am I telling anybody's story right now? So I find myself in this really funny, funny place. And, and the outcome, let me shift this really quickly, is that the Lord and the Holy Spirit had to begin working in my life to rebuild that part of the wall so that I could stand up here. I, I wouldn't have been able to pastor this church if I don't have faith to believe that God is who he said he is. And even though I can't reconcile these two deaths with the fact that I believe that God is good all of the time, here's what I did. I held the two deaths up to God and said, I don't understand this, I can't reconcile it, but I will not let it change my mind about who you are. You are good. And you do protect, and you do want us to move forward, and we are gonna be okay. And so many times what we do instead is to take God and bring him down here to the thing that happened to us and said, look at this. And how could you do this? And why did you allow this? And then because God never feels like he has to answer us putting him on trial. We're left with this living far less than what. And instead of ever reconciling that we have an enemy, we always just tend to blame God. How does God rebuild that? If that's you, if you're going through it right now, maybe it's not death, but maybe it's divorce. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's a betrayal. Maybe it's business. I talked with a guy last night, just walking up the stairs, 30 second conversation. He walked up to me and said, I am really afraid for what the future is gonna bring in my job. It's one of those conversations when you're passing, he's going down the stairs, I'm going up the stairs. And normally it's just one of those things, hey man, I'll pray for you. And I knew the Lord said, stop and pray for him. I just turned around. I just said, hey, I just want to tell you real quickly, God's got your future in his hand and no one can snatch it out of there. And I don't know what's going to happen, but I know no matter what happens, you're going to be okay, man. You trust God right now. It's just those, those things that we're facing in life where we're just like, God, ah. How do you rebuild that trust? How do you rebuild that wall? How do you let God keep, keep putting things back together so that you can be whole, you can be okay, and despite the thing that happened, is happening, will happen, you can keep moving forward. And that's what the nature of this message is about. We're talking about Nehemiah. So let me just read this quick caption of who Nehemiah is and what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah's name means comforter. It's a type and a picture of who the Holy Spirit is. Jesus said uh, that the Old Testament is a type and a shadow. It's a, Paul said that. It's a type and a shadow, a foretelling of who Jesus is and what Jesus does. So when you read about things in the Old Testament, instead of reading it through the lens of just the Old Testament, read it through the lens of God trying to reveal plans and purposes that will all come together through Jesus. So Nehemiah, his name means comforter. Nehemiah's job was to go back to Jerusalem after the walls were knocked down, after the gates were burned. And here's what happened. The inhabitants of Jerusalem had gone home, but they have no protection in their lives. So their enemies would come in day by day and the little bit that they were trying to rebuild would be stolen overnight. Can you imagine a life where you're trying to get after the promises of God, but every time you wake up in the morning, everything you did the day before has been taken away from you? Can you imagine how frustrating that would be? Can you imagine even trying to go forward in that, Caleb? Shana, you'd just be like, why am I even trying? And Nehemiah's job, his name means comforter, was to go back and help them rebuild the wall so that what took place inside of the wall, they could rebuild the promises of God in their lives. And it's a picture of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Jesus said, it's better for you if I go away so that the comforter 
can come to you. And the Holy Spirit works in our lives with our cooperation to help rebuild God's protection around our lives so that the devil can't come in, steal, kill, and destroy. It's a picture. So how then can we cooperate with the Holy Spirit so that these walls can be rebuilt? And when I talk about that, look, you can sit here and say nine out of 10 places in my wall are strong. What I would talk to you about is the 10th that's been knocked down. Because nothing is safe if the enemy has access in and out of your life. So how do you cut that off? How do you build those walls? How do you make sure that you're safe? So we're going to pick up Nehemiah in chapter 4 today. And then there's one scripture in particular that gives us an understanding of how you build and how you fight at the same time. It's really powerful. And then I think I can take you to the best part of the message. So this is Nehemiah 4, 1 through 9. And it talks in the beginning about uh, Israel's enemy, Jerusalem's enemies. Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. Remember, it's a type, a shadow, a picture. So here's what it would be. The enemy is very angry if you're going to try to rebuild your wall. He's not going to applaud you. He's not going to cheer for you. He's not going to get out of the way so that you can do this work. If you're going to do anything for God in this life, you have an enemy who's out to oppose you. If you find yourself today fighting an enemy, it's not because you've done something wrong. It's not because God is not for you. In fact, it's the opposite. You're trying to go the right way and you have an enemy who wants to resist you trying to do the right thing. Sometimes you just have to reckon that if you're going to do great things, you have an enemy who doesn't want it to happen. We have an enemy right now. I, I know for a fact, CU's been told, how can you sell this to a church? Why aren't they saying, it's awesome you're selling this to a church. Churches are awesome. They're being told, how, how can you do this? And our prayer is constantly, God, Close their ears. Don't let them hear those reports about how bad churches are. Let them hear about how awesome churches are. Just pick up that sentence though. Sambalot, the enemy, was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and he mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch, look at these words, poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they think that they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Can you hear the enemy saying, who does this group of people think they are? They're going to move three miles to the east and they're talking about changing the city? Who do they think they are, that bunch of feeble people? We are, but God is on our side. He's on our side. <laughs> Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was standing beside him remarked, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. Then I prayed, hear us, O God, for we are being what? May their scoffing fall back on their own heads. Can I just tell you a prayer that I pray when I fight with the enemy at times? I ask God, put it back on his head. Whatever he's trying to do to me right now, the more he comes, turn it around and put it right back on his head. So the more that he tries, the more that it hurts him. Amen. You're like, Pastor, can you pray that way? Yeah. Do you see it? Pray that way. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads and may themselves become captives in a foreign land. That's a big prayer right there. Do not ignore their guilt, Lord. Do not blot out their sins for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. At last, the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. But when Sambalot and Tobiah and the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites, I love the ites, heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were what? Furious. Furious. It just turned them up even more. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and to throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. All right, real quick. These aren't in your notes. Maybe you'll want to write these down. Here's what I think it is. It's a type and a picture that gives us an insight into how the enemy tries to fight against us. So I'm going to give you three things real quickly that the enemy will try to do to you when you're trying to rebuild the walls. The first one is he will mock you. 
He will make fun of you. You might hear it come in the form of, who do you think you are? What do you mean you're trying to do this? You, you think you're better than us? You can't do that today. What do you think you're living in Bible times? You think that God is on your side? You think you, oh, it'll just be a mocking. You ever been mocked? We just need to reckon that what we do and the way that we believe and what we hold on to be truth, people who disagree are going to mock us. It's okay. Willing to be mocked is just part of it. Will you carry reproach for the name of Jesus? Think about it. Now, I don't think you need to go out and look for reproach. Reproach will find you. But if you're going to be radical, if you're going to be outspoken, if you're going to love God publicly, people will disagree with you. If you quit because you get mocked, the devil wins. If you quit because somebody makes fun of you, your beliefs, your stance, your hope, you're giving money to what? You're believing God to do what? You're standing for your marriage and this hat? What is wrong with... If you go away because you get mocked, your strength wasn't very strong to begin with. I don't mean to be ugly, but that just... Come on. The second thing, if he can't get you to stop with being mocked, then he will threaten you. Threats take it a little bit further, don't they? If you do this, then I'm going to. I think most threats, you realize, most threats have no power behind them other than just the threat itself. It's not anything that's like, hey, you need to, I, I don't, which was FDR. We have nothing to fear but fear itself, right? I, you know, we say that now out of context and it doesn't sound powerful, but here's the U.S. being attacked, going into war and people coming out of the depression and FDR hits it on the head. You know what we really have to fear? It's fear. We live in a day where fear has taken a stronghold on people's lives. The number one thing that I deal with with people today in church is fear. It's fear. It's fear-based. It's, it's, it's fear, uh, just, just come. If you're going to watch the media, prepare to be full of fear. Prepare. I'm not telling you not to watch it, although I would tell you not to watch it, but I'm telling you, if you're going to watch it, you should make an accommodation that what's going to be told to you is a fear based media. It's the worst of the worst. It's how bad it's going to be, how bad it could be, how bad it was yesterday. Bad, 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 bad cells. And the very problem with that is that your God never uses fear as a motivational tactic in your life. He uses promises. He uses blessing. He uses truth. He does not use fear. The enemy's tactic is fear. And so many times God's people take the bait. Fear is this one weird thing. I, I, I don't know how to describe it. You'll know exactly what I'm... Fear has that thing where it can just paralyze you. And here's people that love God. In, internally, you love God. But fear can take over your life. Where You want to know what happened to me with these two deaths? I became afraid. I was afraid. I was afraid for my children's lives. I was afraid for your lives. It wasn't really about me at that point. Like I was afraid for me, but I was afraid of what could happen if I keep trying to, like, here's what really happened. You want to know what it was really about? If I keep trying to push forward, the devil's going to make me pay for it. And I was afraid of that. Now you can mock me about that. Like you're a pastor. I bet you have the same thing happen to you at times. Fear is that the word literally is to choke. Jesus described it with the seed that when the seed falls on the heart of a person who is full of fear, he said, the cares of this world cares is fear. It comes in and chokes. He used the word choke. It chokes the seed. So even God's plans and purposes for you are subject if you give your life over to fear. You have to choose. And then the last one, obviously, is that he does plan to try to hurt you. He threatened them when he heard what they were doing. He and his cohorts got together and they were going to ride on Jerusalem. <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> and they were going to take that wall down. He does plot against you. He does. He threatens, he mocks, and he does try to act. In the middle of all of those things, 
we have to stand on what God said and who God is and who we are. All right, verse 17, just the middle part of the verse is what I want to show you today. So <clears throat> we end up with them <clears throat> having the halt. Uh, forgive me, I, I literally am dealing with a sinus infection and it's messing with my throat right now. So I'm sorry to have to keep clearing my throat and keep drinking. Can you have mercy on me today? <laughs> I, it stinks and I, um, I, I'm willing to play hurt. So um, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> So this, this one scripture gives us their strategy for dealing with the enemy, okay? They did their work with one hand and they held a weapon <clears throat> in the other hand. And I love that picture right there because instead of continuing to try to work with both hands and looking over their shoulder constantly, they just decided, okay, we're gonna use one hand to keep building the wall. And in this hand, we're gonna hold a sword and fight anybody that comes against us. Learning to fight and build at the same time is a prerequisite to moving forward with God. Fight and build, fight and build. Look, sometimes God calls us to be a warrior. Sometimes he calls us to be a builder. And in rare times, we have to be willing to do both at the same time. So let me give you three things. If you're taking the notes online, here's the three fill in the blanks. I, I'll, I'll give them to you quickly so you can, you can go home and practice them. Here's the first one, the shield of faith. The shield of faith, Ephesians 6, 16. Look at this real quickly. In addition to all of these, these are the armor of God. Hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows or darts of the devil. All right, we live in a time when um, th there's a lot of movies about superheroes and superpowers and Marvel and all of those characters are out there. So let me give you a superhero comparison. The shield of faith is not a cloaking device that makes you invisible to the enemy. And people feel like because I serve God, then that keeps me invisible to what the enemy is doing. And the opposite is true. If you serve God, you are highly visible to the enemy. If you are not fighting the enemy, then I'm not sure how visible you are and what you're actually doing for God. If you're doing something great for God, serving him, loving him, living for him, if you are like, Pastor, I can't wait to move the kingdom of God forward and we're with you, we're praying, we're giving, we're going, we're ready. You put a big X on your back. And to think different is foolish. You make yourself a target if you're gonna do something for God. So then you have to decide, do I wanna be a target? No, the real question to ask is, do you wanna do something great with your life? If you're content to do nothing, then you are no threat to the enemy. But if you wanna do something, you make yourself a target. So in order to eliminate the enemy's strategies, God gives us the shield of faith. The shield of faith is not a cloaking device that makes you invisible. It's a shield you can put up so that when the devil is constantly shooting those arrows at you, arrows that are lies, arrows that are traps, arrows that are there to tempt you, arrows that are there to lie to you, arrows that are there to discourage you, arrows that are there to get you to go the opposite way of God. He's shooting constantly. You can hold up the shield of faith and catch most of them. The Bible says it, 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 it extinguishes them so that when you just hold up faith, so how would it work? The enemy shoots at you, oh, um, your kids, they are not gonna serve God. You look at their lives and you go, they are so far from what we had hoped and we had prayed and we believed and we stood for. They are going the opposite direction. The enemy is shooting that dart at you. One, it doesn't just shoot one and then waits. He keeps shooting them over and over and over. Here's the truth. You can only catch so many. All it takes is one to get through, yes or no? So that when one comes through, you hold up faith and this is what you say. Okay, I see what they're doing right now, but you promise me. <laughs> you promise me that if I stand on your promises and I raise them in who you are, the fear and the admonition, the knowledge of God, that God, no matter what I see in front of me, you promise that eventually they'll come back around. And so God... I'm right now going to stand on this. This is faith. And I will not let what the enemy is shooting at me be the thing that I talk about, that I think about, or that I begin to live my life over. I'm going to live my life as though what you said is true, not what they're doing is true. That's faith. 
Now, faith doesn't deny what's going on. It actually admits what's going on is lousy, but I'm going to believe what God said to be true. That even when you find yourself, let's talk about health for a minute. I, I, something as simple as an infection. I, I'm gonna go see a doctor, but I got up this morning and just, I, I just said there's only one name I can be healed to go preach today in. And it's not Dr. White, that's the name of my doctor. And I love him. And I will go see him and get an antibiotic, but it's Jesus. And so I went to my wife and I said, hey, I need you to pray over me this morning. So she prayed over me before I left the house. I crossed Broadway on my way here and my ears started to act up again. Isn't that weird? So I called her right away and I said, I just need you to pray for me one more time. I'm not turning around. I'm not showing a video. I'm not gonna be knocked out. And I'm standing up here right now and I have a little bit of going on in my ear. But you can't hear it. I'm just willing. Look, I believe that Jesus can heal me right now, but I believe that even if he doesn't, God is still good and I can still do this job right now. I will still lead and I was, do you get what I'm saying? So I'm not giving into that. I'm not, no, that's minor. I get it. So let's say that cancer. You get that report. That's big C, not little C. I did a funeral this week. You know, the Bible does, it says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his own. We always look at it from this side and we see it as just, it's the horrible end. God sees it as the beginning. And here's the real rugged truth. We're all going to pass through that door unless the rapture. Okay. Yeah. But if not, and, and we just see it as like, it's, it's the final, <laughs> it's the beginning. Ultimate healing is heaven. Ultimate healing is when God says, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into what I've prepared for you to enjoy. That's the ultimate promotion. But up until then, dude, I'm going to stand on the fact that God said that Jesus, by his stripes, I've been healed. And I will believe that, and I will preach that, and I will pray that, and I will not get even. So if someone passes, then I pray for resurrection. And if God doesn't do that, then I commit their spirit to him, and I keep moving on. But it doesn't stop. Do you, do you understand what I'm, it's not a get off point. It's not an end to, to it. The shield of faith. You know, the one thing that the enemy cannot figure out is faith. He's thrown everything at you, hoping you will decide to believe what he said. And if you choose faith instead of it, he has no counteractive product to throw at you at that time. You have defeated the lie. Uh, here's the second one. I'm so sorry. I'm going to run out of time. The sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 13, 15. Look at this one real quick. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual, say the next three words. One more time. To God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. Okay, look at this. I wrote it this way. I think that this is really important. See if you can understand this. This, this is all praise is worthy, but not all praise is equal. Okay, when it's blue sky, beautiful sunsets, green grass, warm temperatures, and everything is summertime. Praise comes out of our mouths easily, doesn't it? God, thank you. And if you can't say thank you when everything's going good, something's wrong with you. It's easy to say thank you when everything's good. You know when it's tough to say thank you? When it's gray skies and the sun's not shining and it's cold, it's winter time, and it hurts and you're hurt and your spirit is wounded. That's when it's hard to open your mouth and not talk about the hurt, but to talk about how good God is. Eric, it's hard to talk about how good God is when you're hurting. All praise is worthy, but not all praise is equal. There's something to the sacrifice of praise that when we're hurting, we still look to heaven and go, God, you are so good. You are so awesome. I love you so much. God, I bless you. I bless who you are. I bless how you work in my life. I bless everything about you, God. 
I bless everything about you. Look, you can sit there and talk about all the stuff that's wrong and all you do is reinforce all the stuff that's wrong. Or you can talk about how good God is and elevate him over your life. You magnify something in your life. It's never neutral. You magnify what the enemy is doing or you magnify who God is. You get to choose. Which one will you choose? You're like, but pastor, it doesn't change (laughs) because you never did it. It may not change the problem, but it will change you. And it will elevate your spirit in front of God. There is something about the sacrifice of praise. How do I say this? Learning to crucify your flesh is what mature people do when they walk with Jesus. Immaturity is that we let our flesh run our life. We let our emotions speak all of our words. At what level do we quit living by our emotions and begin to live by what God said? When when are you going to do that? When are you going to stop elevating all of your feelings and begin to elevate the truth of God above your feelings? It's so easy, man, to praise him when everything is good. And it is difficult to still call him good when everything is bad. But it is so important. All praise is worthy, but not all praise is equal. There is something about the sacrifice of praise that when we give it to God, even when things are not going well, I think that God looks down. I think he, hey, Gabriel, Michael, look at this. This is what I was talking about. Do you remember the conversation between God, the devil, about Job? Have you considered my servant Job? Well, of course he serves you. You bless everything in his life. I guarantee you this. Pull back one little inch and he will curse you. Now, I can't understand why God said yes to that. It's one of those books when I get to heaven, I, you know, I say I'm going to ask. I probably will be afraid to ask, but I would love to ask. What, what were you doing? Why would you? And we read about Job. You know that most scholars believe that the book of Job took place in nine months time. Not years and years and years, nine months time. And then when God was done, Job got double for his trouble. God gave him double. But these nine months are what make the book. And Job went through hell for nine months. And yet here is the whole, the balance of the book of Job is summed up in this one verse. He looked up and he said, I know that my redeemer lives. Can you imagine Job saying those words covered in boils, losing everything that he made money with and his children have perished in a storm. And he looks to heaven and says, I know that my redeemer, do you think that might've got God's attention? Do you think that the enemy suddenly had, what can the enemy even say? Anybody hear what I'm saying right now? There's just this level that most of us never break through because we never, we just, we elevate our emotions above the truth of what God says. Here's the third one, the third tool. You build with one hand and hold this weapon, a shout of declaration. I didn't say a whisper of declaration, a shout of declaration. Many of us need to learn how to shout. You can shout at your kids. You can shout at the Broncos. You can shout at the management of the Rockies today. If you don't know, go home and check it out, man. Monfort. I'm sorry. It's a distraction. God is still good. Okay. We can shout at all these different things, but we never think in terms of doing what the Bible tells us to do. Psalms 19, one through four, the heavens, what's that word? Declare Declare means to out loud make a statement of affirmation about what you think is true. The heavens shout out loud this truth to the glory of God. And the firmament, the earth, shows God's handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, night unto night reveals his knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice about God is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, he has set a tabernacle for the sun. And here's what it's saying. It's, it's, it's admitting that when you look at creation for what it really is, it all declares how good God is. And people today somehow have fallen under the spell of the devil to believe that the synchronicity of what we live with, the fact that we live in the inhabitable zone, 
The fact that it turns just enough on its axis back and forth to let us grow crops. The fact that you and I exist here today, it's not an accident. How silly to believe it's all an accident. A cosmic belch that caused creation to suddenly exist. Stop it. It all shouts to the fact that there's beauty behind it. Beauty in and of itself tells us there's a creator. If it's all random, it would be ugly. And the fact that we can recognize beauty means that God prepared it for us to enjoy. It's why there's symmetry to a face, two eyes, two ears, one nose. Why aren't we all born with noses here and ears down here? It all speaks of order. Well, it's the order of natural selection, pastor. God naturally selected for you to be able to enjoy this earth that he created. Learn to declare. Now, so let me say this. When I declare, um, when I'm up here, I can declare because I've got this position to declare, but I can't declare when I like go to Starbucks. God is good. Give me a latte. It just, it ain't going to work. Right? So where do I declare most of the time? In my car. The best preaching I do is not up here on this stage. It is in my car. And I'm going to say it this word. When the voice in my head is louder, then I must declare all that much louder who God is. Anybody ever have a loud voice in their head? Three of us. Wow. How is it to live with no sound in your head? Amazing. It's amazing. Psalms 47.1 says, shout unto God with the voice of triumph. We're willing to shout about everything else except to shout to the Lord. And some of you were like, but I wasn't raised that way. Thank God in heaven you're here now. Thank God in heaven you're not back where you used to be. You're here now. And one of the weapons God gives us is the ability to shout with declaration, God, you are, shout over your problems. Instead of shouting about them, shout over them. God, you are God. When we worship, it is okay to be boisterous. I hope to heaven that if you think heaven's gonna be this real quiet, reverent place, I hope I get to stand next to you (laughs) at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I will annoy you. Oh, I will annoy you. And I bet you will shout on that day. So that when we shout, it's not about what we're accustomed to. It's about what God tells us to do. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Elevate your declaration over your problems. Who is God? Who is God? Who is God? Sometimes we make our God so little and our problems so big. Make your God so big. Um, Ryan's going to lead us through communion today. And I would encourage you to use it as a place of declaration for the truth of God. So, Ryan, why don't you come on up and take us through? That was such a good message. Thank you so much, Pastor John. Let's give him a round of applause, you guys. The Lord really has anointed him to preach good news. It is my pleasure to lead us through communion today. On your seats, you will have found the elements. If you'll go ahead and open up the bread and the cup. Um, When I was preparing to come up here, I kept hearing this word in my head, sufficient. My sacrifice is sufficient. You guys, Jesus, when he gave and took apart the bread, he did it at the Passover feast with his disciples. And he said, take my bread and let's break it. It is a, it is a symbol for my body being broken for you. So let's remember this moment. You guys, it is a joyous thing to remember what Jesus has done for us. So let's take the bread together. After which, at the end of the meal, he then took the cup, the wine, and he passed it around and he looked at his disciples and he said, this wine represents a new covenant, a new promise. No longer do you have to look for some other sacrifice. My sacrifice is sufficient. So let's take the cup together. Let's drink the juice together. That word sufficient means enough. Jesus' death 
and his resurrection is enough. It covers a multitude of sins. And that has been so impactful in my life. And I just wanna pray for that revelation for you guys. As we remember this time, it is a joyous thing that his sacrifice is enough. We don't need anything more and nothing less will do. So Jesus, we thank you so much. We thank you for your sacrifice. We eat this bread and we drink this cup in remembrance of all that you have done, all that you have said, and all that you are going to do as you have gone to prepare a place for us. We thank you, Jesus. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you and we remember you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Church, it is such a joy to be up here today. It is such a joy to take communion with you. Before we part ways, I want to take you into two things, an announcement. There is a Jubilee app. If you guys don't have it, let's get it downloaded onto your phone. There is also a newsletter. You guys, it is the best way to stay connected with all that is taking place here in our church and good things are happening. So I bless you today. I ask you guys have a wonderful day.